welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Today's guest is the one and only Tiffany McLean. She is a therapist and consultant whose mantra is full fees are the new black. Through her program, Lean In Mink Bank Academy, she helps therapists in private practice overcome their shame about making bank so they can help clients they are truly passionate about serving without sacrificing their own well-being. As you'll hear on this interview, we've had several Lean In Make Bank alums on the Mind Money Balance podcast. Tiffany has been featured in Psychology Today, Psych Central, Huffington Post, San Francisco Weekly, and Forbes. Before we get into this interview with Tiffany, I wanted to share with you a few reminders. One, this is the last podcast episode of 2020. I will be back here in your ears on January 4th, and I'm going to be doing a solo show. And it's an Ask Me Anything show, so you can slide into my DMs over on Instagram at mindmoney balance. Ask me whatever you want about business, about life, about therapy, about my dog. I will do my best to answer questions on the show and and it might kind of stray away from the season's theme and that's totally, totally fine. So that is a listener's mailbag type of episode that will be coming at you on January 4th. This episode is also a touch explicit. So if you have little ears around, make sure you pop those earbuds in. So you can listen um, without worrying about harming their ears, harming theirs. Saying the word shit is not harming your children's ears. Just FYI, in case you're listening on full blast with your Alexa. Okay, so those are the two announcements about the podcast. And then the other thing I wanted to remind you of is I'm doing a full moon party on December 29th. If you don't know what I'm talking about, full moons are, or symbolically are, a great time to release the things that are no longer serving us. I am doing the last one of 2020. It is on the full moon on December 29th. You can find more out about that at the link in my show notes. You can register. It is not recorded. It is not replayed. It is really just a safe, safe safe-ish space. I try to cultivate a brave space in all of my work, but it is just for women and femmes, and it is just about releasing the money shame of 2020. Oh my gosh, if we haven't had like the heaviness of money, maybe you didn't earn as much as you wanted. Maybe you spent more than you'd anticipated. Maybe, you know, your job was taken from you, right? And the shame of letting that go, that is going to be a great place to let all that shit go. Join me at that full moon money party on December 29th. Okay, and as we get ready to welcome Ms. Tiffany to the show, I wanted to also just point out how real she gets about the difficulty and sadness of social distancing at this particular point in time. We've been in lockdown, most of us, for like, you know, coming up on 10, 11 months, depending on where you are in the United States. I know in Canada, you guys are also experiencing a lot of lockdowns. I'm very jealous of my New Zealand and Aussie listeners who have, you know, leadership that allowed them to hit the brakes on the pandemic and they're, you know, returning to life mostly as normal. But we are in that final stretch. But just because we're in the final stretch doesn't make it easy. If you celebrate Hanukkah and you just wrap 
wrapped that up. My heart goes out to you for trying to celebrate a holiday about light and peace and love in isolation. And if you are getting ready to celebrate Christmas or Kwanzaa, my heart goes out to you as we, we do this in a socially distanced way. And even while staying home is for the greater good of our community and is a way to practice not only self-care, but also community care, it doesn't mean it's any easier. It's hard. And right now it's getting really fucking hard as we are in this final stretch as, you know, if you're in the Northern hemisphere like me and it's starting to get dark, it's okay just to acknowledge that it is hard. And yeah, I just wanted to, to say that I wish I had some like words of wisdom for you, but really I think it's just validation that it's hard and it's okay that it's hard. It's okay to be sad and irritated and frustrated and just holding space for you in that way. Okay. With that, let's listen to Miss Tiffany. All right, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on to the Mind Money Balance podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I am so excited to share you with everybody. I, I don't think you know this about me because why would you? But when I was starting out on my journey of raising fees, I, like many therapists, hemmed and hawed over how to do it and what was the best way. And no surprise, the Hey Tiffany Fun With Fees calculator came up and it was such a light bulb moment for me to set my fees based on what I needed rather than on what somebody else in an office suite next door to me had set their fees at. So first, thank you for that. And secondly, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself professionally, but also personally? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that calculator. I'm, I feel like, wow, I'm so glad I put that together or had hired someone else to put that together. I'm not naturally a mathy person. And I grew up w- with stories around women, women of color, not being mathy people. And so for me, it was exciting to be able to have that created to help all the therapists out there who have also identified or had stories told to them about not being mathy people. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad it helped you when you were setting your fees. As you said, my name is Tiffany. I'm a clinical fee strategist for therapists in private practice. I just came up with that term like two days ago. I'm like, I like that. I like that term. It's good. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm a therapist in private practice in San Francisco. Mom of a little boy who's about a year and a half. So that's been an exciting new phase of my life. And we have a program called the Lean In Make Bank Academy, which is all about helping therapists earn more. We want them to earn 30 to 50% more per month while working fewer hours by addressing their fees, by addressing their private practice policies in an ethical and clinically appropriate way. So that is where I spend a lot of my time when I'm not hanging out with my family. I love that. And quite a few of your alums have been guests on the Mind Money Balance podcast. So they are out here making waves. And I love that it's very much as we increase our fees, it's not just to make money, just to make money. You know, you mentioned it. It's to ethically increase our fees so that we can support ourselves and practice financial self-care personally and within our communities. So I would love to learn a little bit more about your money story. What were some of the money messages you got growing up and how did they lead you to where you are today, which is helping people raise their fees by 30 to 50%? Yeah. Wow. My money stories. It's so strange being on this side of the <laughs> on this side of the podcast interview. My dad was an entrepreneur. He's been like a serial entrepreneur. 
And my mom worked steadily in a government job for the entirety of her career. Actually, I think she did some other things before that, but she was doing that by the time I, I came around. And so there was a real discrepancy between how they thought about money and what money symbolized for them. So I think for my mom working for this secure, predictable government job, it was a, a way to be financially safe and to be able to work slowly towards creating a financial security. My dad, on the other hand, he grew up in the projects, in poverty, a lot of violence. He's a black man. My mom is white. And so I think for him, there was an experience that he could never work for somebody else and be treated fairly or to be treated with respect or to have other people see his potential, especially in the town where I grew up, where he raised us. And so for me, there was both the desire for financial security, but always offset by a similar belief. Nobody's ever going to hire me and see my potential. Nobody's ever going to believe in my ability to create value or add value to the world. That was just my, that was what I believed. And so I felt like I need to do this for myself. Nobody's ever going to do it for me. And I think I have often chased financial freedom and, and job freedom, working for myself and creating something for myself over financial security. And it certainly has created an experience of being a late bloomer. It's taken me a long time to find my professional trajectory or my professional career. And it's also been one where it's been a lot of, I'll say fighting with myself and my stories around what I can actually do. It's hard sometimes for me to even believe in myself, like what's possible for somebody like me. So is it fair to say that you took the path you took as because you had learned this lesson from your father that, look, we live in a systemically racist society. My dad had to carve his own path because he didn't want to be viewed through that lens. So that's the path that I'm going to take. Why, why did you choose that path instead of your mom's path, which was go somewhere, get a, a safe job, clock in, clock out, that's predictable? What made you lean in, in the direction of entrepreneurship? That's funny. And I'm smiling as you're talking, smiling wide. It is impossible for me to imagine going to a job and clocking in and clocking out. It is just literally, I literally, there's no way I can wrap my mind around that, giving my time to a company or an organization. And I did it for some time. You know, I worked at a, a mental health or nonprofit agency for like $13.50 per hour while I lived in San Francisco. And like, that was that was like, okay, I guess this is what one does. And I have never, I've just never been satisfied with an hourly wage. For me, the idea of creating something that can scale, where I can have the freedom to work when I want to work, where I can go on vacation when I want to go on vacation. Like the idea that I have to ask for permission to go on vacation or sleep in or go to lunch. I just literally cannot, I cannot imagine it. It feels like a prison. And so there's no, there was just never an option for me to go work in a nine to five. Yeah. And it sounds like when you tried, it just reaffirmed how wrong that was for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd mentioned that, you know, some of the money stories that you'd absorbed was the importance of carving your own path, being your own boss and trusting that the work that you put in, you will get out of it and you don't have to worry about somebody else's mindset or beliefs kind of clouding that what were some hiccups, maybe money mindset wise along the way in going into private practice and growing your coaching business that you had to face and or overcome? So many. And they, and they continue to, I continue to face them or run into them. And this is also one of the reasons that I like to have my own business is because the business literally requires intense self-scrutiny 
self-analysis in order to, and self-growth in order for the business to grow. And so I think when we work for a company or work for someone else, we can always kind of point our finger to someone else. If we're not having the success we want, or if we're not getting where we want, we can kind of say, well, that supervisor was mean to me, or what that supervisor projected onto me, whatever our stories are. But if you're working for yourself, there is literally the buck stops with you at every level. And for me, integrity and responsibility are among my top personal and professional values. So working for or creating a company where the results are based on myself and my growth entirely is a freeing also and requires a lot. So to caveat that, all of the therapists listening or anybody who's listening who's an entrepreneur, what's the word? Hands down to you, hands up to you. I'm not sure. Uh, cheers to you because you're doing something that a lot of people aren't willing to take the risk to do, which is take total responsibility for your success or your failure. For me, when I started out in private practice, I had a lot of stories around fearing that my raising my fees would hurt people. Like, what am I going to do with the, with the clients who I'm already seeing on a, a sliding fee scale? What if they can't afford it? Am I a, a mean, a bad person or a selfish person for wanting to earn more? So all of the things that I talk about with my students are all things that I had to go through. I remember having a supervisor who I really respected and respect to this day, who was an analyst, so a trained psychoanalyst and a psychiatrist, so an MD, a medical professional. And this supervisor of mine was charging 150 per session. And I'm like, oh, I'm an intern starting out. I can't charge more than her. So I even raised my fee to 140 and felt like, oh, it would be too much and too threatening to charge more than she, start, she charged when I was working underneath her. So those stories, and also a story around who is going to pay a black woman, especially in a place like San Francisco that's primarily uh, white folks, and I was in a psychoanalytic community, which is primarily white folks, who have a very mentally masturbating way of speaking, like really theory heavy. Everybody has a particular language, and I, was, I did not conform to that language. I love the ideas. I wasn't educated in that way, so I couldn't use the language with as much acumen. I don't know what the word is. I wasn't as skilled in using the language. So I'm like, who's going to refer to me of those people? Who's going to trust me to do the clinical work? So I also had stories about who would ever even pay someone like me. Those are just a few. Yeah, those are just a few. And they are, thank you, first of all, for sharing all of them. I think for so many people who listen, they have reached out. I received a, a DM recently where somebody said, I just don't get how you, Lindsay, are so comfortable talking about money when we have similar backgrounds and I'm not. And this person was saying, look, I, I'm Filipina like you. I, I don't understand. Like This is something we didn't talk about. And I wanted to be like, you think I came out the womb ready to talk about money? No, no. I learned over time and I, I found in my career, that it was kind of the final taboo. And I didn't understand why as therapists, we were trained to talk about trauma and sex and religion, and we weren't trained to talk about money. So I just love that you bring up that there is always going to be some, some mind garbage that gets brought up and there's always time to hold space for it and maybe analyze it and maybe just sit with it and, and work through it. So I love that you bring, bring that part of yourself to your work. What about on the money mindset stuff? I'm curious to hear your response. I have noticed a lot of spiritual bypassing in the money mindset community, right? So a lot of like, just, you know, put it on a vision board and it'll come true or just manifest your way to millions. How do you differentiate yourself from those folks who aren't really doing holistic money mindset work? 
That I love that you bring that up. So I'm going to ask you a, a clarifying question as I do before we go as in. As therapists are wont to do. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. So when you're thinking about this, when you see this, are you saying something like in these communities, somebody says, you know, I want to make six figures in my private practice this year. And when you see the spiritual bypassing, are you saying that the answer to that is like, oh, put up your vision board, say your mantra every day, and then you'll get to those six figures. Ding, is ding, that ding. what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Wow. Okay. It's interesting because I move back and forth between, I'm not woo. I don't think anyone would be, would describe me as woo. I feel like I'm really based in reality and I really encourage my students to get clear about reality. And I think there must be something to getting clear about where you want to go and focusing on where you want to go as a way to keep moving forward. And I do think that if you put your, your mind to a question a question to your mind, a good question, I think your mind will go about looking for answers to that. However, I'm big on clear strategy, looking at your financial situation right now. I'm very, very big on looking at what you need to have in order to get to where you want to go and then having all of the discomfort, not moving past it, not telling yourself a mantra, really sitting with God damn it, I feel guilty about this. Or who am I to move forward like this? So really acknowledging the feelings, leaning into the feelings, and then also thinking about that clinically. Like how are these anxieties, these feelings showing up in my clinical work as well? And what can I do concretely in terms of addressing those things in the therapeutic relationship? So really we're heavy on looking at your real numbers, knowing where you really want to go and why, and then also really leaning into and paying attention to the feelings that come up. We're not about just wishing your sadness away or wishing your guilt or anxiety away. We believe you have to, like you said, sit with it, go into it, make room for it, and talk about it in mm -hmm. order to get beyond it. Mm -hmm. So you bring up something that I think is this really interesting thing that happens in the therapist community where you, you touched on it earlier. How could I possibly raise my rates when somebody else's rates who's been in the field longer is, has higher rates than me? Or won't I be harming my clients if I raise my fees? How do you deal with those uncomfortable moments in session? How do you gear yourself up to have a compassionate conversation with a client about a fee change? I would say it's not always the, I would say it's not always compassionate, right? Like <laughs> therapists have so much anxiety about it that there's all kinds of ways this conversation comes out. And so I wish it was always like this open, let's talk about it. But really it's so often it is the therapist anxiety that is heavy in the room, even more than the client. We don't know. We don't know where our clients are at around the money stuff because we don't look at it and we're afraid to talk to them and we've never actually had an honest conversation. So for us, it's first getting clear about where we need to go. Like, all right, do I need to do a $25 fee raise? Do I need to get off insurance panels? Oh, what does it bring up for me? And what are my fantasies about that? What are my feelings about that? And we even have therapists go through an exercise of before they even address a fee raise clinically, they start noticing how money is coming up in the room, in their own minds, in their own gut, in the client's conversations, what might, what might, be a, what might money be symbolizing? And they just write this down and take notes on it or talk in the community about it before they ever broach it in the room. Once we start talking about what it looks like to actually have these conversations with clients, um, we really teach you go in, you say what needs to happen, you know, starting X date, my fee goes up by X, and then you shut your mouth and you make room for the client to have whatever experience they have without trying to jump in, without solving it, without trying to take it away, without trying to be the nice therapist. You know, if the client says, 
wow, I'm shocked. You know, I feel like that's really greedy. This is, you, you lured me in here. You know, nobody's going to, first of all, a client's not going to say all that likely. But if that comes out over the course of a session or some few sessions, you got me in at this fee and now you're raising it. That feels like a real betrayal of my trust. Then the therapist's job is to say, man, I betrayed your trust. You came in at X and now I'm saying Y. That's it. Not like, no, I'm not. Or how? Or I didn't mean to. I have to do this for myself, right? You, a fee raise is a... It could mean a million things to a million different clients. It could mean 10 different things to 10 different clients, and it can be used as an intervention to understand something about, it tells us, their reaction tells us something about their relationship to money and really their relationship to other humans and their attachment and their traumas. So if we actually start thinking about our fee raises as a way to understand our clients more, not to defend against, not to try to protect ourselves, not to be a good, nice therapist, but actually like to maintain curiosity about the client's world, the client's internal world, a fee raise becomes a powerful intervention. It's really interesting, Tiffany, because you're like, oh, sometimes you have to be the mean therapist. But as I listened to that response, there was like nothing mean there. It was just human, right? It's human to say, I'm changing my fee. It's increasing. And hopefully for those listening, you're a skilled enough clinician to sit with some some resistance, right? We've all sat in rooms with resistance or where a client's upset about your no-show policy or that you don't answer calls on weekends, right? We've all had to deal with those boundary conversations. So I love that you're folding it into another way to help see the client and, and where they are at in, in the therapeutic relationship. Another thing you said before we got to the question about fees and fee raising is you said that it's so important to do things based on real data, on real numbers. What are some of the ways in which you manage your money? Is there a certain mm. app that you like? Is there a certain you know number of times each month you're looking at your money? What does the tangible money stuff look like in your world? Absolutely. As of late, I have hired finally a company who manages my finances, a a CFO actually, which is well beyond, I think, where my company probably is financially. We should not have a CFO at at the revenue we're bringing in right now. But for me, it's so important to be real with money and to have people who can look at it, talk me through it, create visuals around it where I can ask any kind of data driven question to them and they can come back and say, here's what the numbers show. Because again, I'm not, this is not a natural way my mind works. I always say hire an expert who this is how their mind works. This is what they can do all day in love and pay them to do it. And having a team like this, a financial team who says, if you want to get to that goal of seven figures, here's what the data would need to look like. Damn. All right. Excellent. Reality. Thank you. Let's move towards it. Okay. Two things. One, I have to push back on maybe there's a little money mindset hiccup right there, Miss Tiffany, with, with I don't deserve to have a CFO or I'm not big uh, enough to have a CFO. So I just want to point that out because again, as you mentioned at the top of this interview, we have shit come up all the time. Case in point right there. So anyway, I'll just let you sit with I'll that. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and I won't charge you for that one though. Maybe you're going to tell me I should. I'm ready. And then the other thing that this brings up for me is the catch-22 that I hear a lot of therapists struggle with as they are getting their practices off the ground or they're full and they're scaling. So they do need to hire a virtual assistant or they do need to pay someone to do their website rebranding. How do you make those decisions? Okay, it's time to pay an expert to do this thing that I no longer have time or space or energy to do. How do you kind of talk yourself through those, those financial changes? This has changed as my businesses have evolved. This was different when I was in private practice 
versus now when I have the Lean In Make Bank Academy, which is a very different business model. I have um, never been one. I can't say never because I don't know when this started, but for some years, I have not been one to shy away from hiring other people to help me. My time is so much more valuable than any amount of money. I'll, I'll live on way less money if it means I have way more time freedom. That's not even a question to me. I believe you can make exponentially more money, but, but you cannot make time. Time is really a limited resource. So if I can use little time, uh, money to create more time or space to spend time how I want, I'm all, I'm all about it. And then there's also the real question of if I'm bringing in $10 a month, we're going to use a terrible uh, little amount of money so I can work with it. $10 a month uh, and a social media person costs me $8 a month. How do I actually make that investment or how do I spend that money if I only have $10 a month now? I really do think it's important to pay attention to how do I think investing this $8 is going to bring more in? Can I see that trajectory? Can I see how that will bring in more money? Are there evidence from other people investing in this person? Uh, or this task? Uh, have I seen evidence that other people make more money back from that? So really, what's the return on your monetary investment when making a monetary decision about where to put my money? I, I love how data-driven it is. And at the same time, for you, it comes back to where your values lie. And for you, the importance, time becomes before money. So it's easier for you to say, I'm going to spend some money to gain back time Whereas for other people, it might take them a little bit to get to that tipping point. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's just a process. It's just a process of saying, okay, I'm going to hire this one person for this one task, see how it feels. And it's almost like implementing any new behavior change, right? If you're going to start walking, if you're going to start drinking more water, you just start out slowly and you just kind of try it on, get used to it, and then kind of move forward. So I I really appreciate how, uh, how tangible that is. So in these strange times, I won't say unprecedented, but I guess I just did. How are you finding space for joy and for fun? How are you keeping your mindset elevated? That, that has been tricky. I've noticed, especially the past two or three weeks. I tend to be, I wouldn't want to say, I guess I don't want to say cynical. I, I'm pretty clear about the ways the world can be messed up, but I, I'm not, I don't get caught up in it. Like, oh, everything is so awful out there. So I'm awful in here too. I really am. I have an internal locus of control. I, I get a change. I get to have an impact on what's happening in the world. I get to have an impact on what's happening in my business, in my family. So I don't get too spun out by what's happening externally. But I will say, uh, especially as we're coming to the holidays, not being able to see my parents or have my son be with my parents, not being able to be with my sibling who lives in town, my brother and his partner, but they both have jobs that are putting them in a little more COVID-related risk, so we don't get to see them. So things like having Thanksgiving with just me, my partner, and my son, that's sad. And I'm starting to feel a lot more sad about missing my friends, missing even just the opportunity to sit down and have coffee with somebody. And it's interesting because I actually know that I could do those things. Like I can't go to parks and have coffee and sit across from somebody six feet away and, and, and have conversation. But I think just really shutting down socially in general, I'm in San Francisco, so we've been real shut down for the past nine months. I'm getting just more insular and I do need to make space to be spending time with more people. I've actually consciously been like, all right, I got two friend dates this coming weekend. I'm going to go out. So really having to be conscious of like, oh yeah, I'm missing those things in my life because I can get real head down, Mm -hmm. just keep doing the routine. But I do take, you know, I do things like violin lessons. I take violin lessons. I work with a personal trainer. So there are things that I do to keep myself going. But those things also tend to be 
success related. Oh, how, how good am I doing a violin? What, what am I doing with my personal trainer? It's harder for me to say like, let me do some leisure. And the things I used to do for leisure, like getting a massage regularly, I can't do those things right mm-hmm. now. So really the mm-hmm. in my body things, going to the gym, getting a massage, those options have been taken away. So I have to be conscious of like, oh yeah, I got to find something to replace that. And I haven't, to be honest, I haven't found mm-hmm. those things yet. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing what you are actively trying to do and just normalizing that therapists are human too. And we are going through this simultaneously with our clients. This has happened, not this specific thing, but we have undergone traumatic events alongside our clients in the past. But this one is is definitely different. And everybody's, I know for me, my energy level really changes day by day. There might be one day where I'm up and I'm like, all right, A plus therapy coming your way. And then there are other days where I'm like, Oh, this might be B minus to C plus today. Just FYI, that's where we're at. And, and you know, just, just checking in with myself to know whether or not I can safely hold space, right? If I'm, if I'm tipping into C or lower, I can do C plus for a day, maybe. But if I'm dropping below that C grade, then I, you know, I take a day off. So I, I love that you shared that. So Tiffany, as we wrap up today, where can everybody find out more about you and your work? I'm going to say two things. I got to say to that last question, I also go to my own analyst, therapist analyst twice a week. That is a must at this time. So when I talk about raising fees with clients, I put my money where my mouth is. I go to a premium fee analyst too. So whenever I'm talking to therapists, and they're like, that's greedy, or we're, we're, that's being selfish. I'm also talking from the perspective of a client. We as therapists are also clients. So it is not either or. So I got it. I had to say that. Yes. Yes. Thank um, you for that. My pleasure. Folks can find more about me, about what I do at HeyTiffany.com. And you can get that fee calculator we were talking about. If you want to help set, setting your fees, you can go to HeyTiffany.com forward slash fee calculator. Yes. Thank you, Tiffany, so much. This was such a joy. I am so thankful to have you on and I'm hoping you find some moments of, of fun and joy as well. Thank you so much. And you too. How good was that conversation with Tiffany? I am so thrilled that she came on. I'm such a a fan of hers and love her work and was so thrilled to be able to share with you all her brilliance, right? So as we get into the takeaways, just a reminder, I'll be on a little pod break until the 4th. If you have questions that you want me to answer, DM me over on Instagram at mindmoneybalance. I've got that full moon party coming up on December 29th. That's going to be super fun for women and femmes to release that money shame. And Tiffany generously shared with Mind Money Balance podcast listeners her free masterclass on four different ways to, for steps to raise your fees if you're a therapist in private practice. And I want to point out that Tiffany does similar work to me and I'm not here saying, no, I'm not going to share with you her masterclass. The reality is there's more than enough for all of us to go around. Her style might float your boat more than mine or vice versa. And I'm still going to share with you the resources that my guests bring on. I'm not about hiding and hoarding stuff. That's not good for anybody. There's more than enough to go around. So if maybe you've tried working with me and I'm not your jam, head over there. Check out Tiffany's stuff. It will be linked in the show notes, the four steps to raise your fees. All right. With that, let's get into the takeaways. The first one is this intersection of being quote unquote, not mathy and also data driven. I think this is so important 
to get out of our own heads, to get out of our own way, that might mean going to a therapist, about this this idea that somehow we're not mathy or not good at math. You all know I failed college algebra. Numbers in, in general had not been my thing. I had been taught that because I wasn't good at algebra or because I wasn't good at geometry, like when was the last time I looked for a, a right angle of a triangle zero times, that somehow that meant that I was going to be bad at numbers, at money, the numbers associated with money. But the reality is money is mostly emotional and psychological. And at the same time, Tiffany shared, look, she has somebody else. She's got like a CFO available to help her with that data. So she can just see the breakdown and have an idea of what she needs. So for you, figure out what you need. Do you need a big picture? Do you need to be in the weeds, tracking everything with Excel? You decide, right? You don't have to be mathy in order to be good with money, okay? Takeaway number two holding space for when things get uncomfortable. Tiffany shared this example of raising her fees and saying, FYI, I'm raising my fees and sitting with it and therapeutically exploring what's going on. What does it mean for a client? What does it mean for a therapist when you raise your fees in the psychological and in the emotional realm? So just sitting with it when money stuff gets uncomfortable and getting comfortable with that space, right? And then takeaway number three is, is the importance of investing in your mental health. Tiffany said, look, I'm not just out here telling therapists to raise their fees. I'm going to my own psychoanalyst and I'm making sure that I'm taking care of my mental health and well-being. We can't just look at money in a vacuum, just like we can't look at mental health in a vacuum. They are intersected, they are intertwined, and we need to practice taking care of our mental well-being as we get on our money journey. And with that, I will see you in the new year, 2021. Holy wow, couldn't get here quick enough, right? Doing an Ask Me Anything podcast, solo show. If you have your questions that you want answered and you are listening to this before then head over to Instagram at mind money balance, send me those. And if you are getting ready to celebrate Christmas or Hana or Christmas or Kwanzaa, I wish you happy, happy holidays. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at mind money balance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.